0: I don't know who this is for. God actually quickened this to my mind Thursday night, and I quoted part of it. So I just want to pull this up and read it for whomever. It may be for all of us. I don't know. But it's Psalms 27. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, They will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high up on a rock. Then my head will be exalted above all the enemies who surround me. at At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, Seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me, and do not turn uh, your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your ways, O Lord. Lead me in the straight path because of your oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses rise against me, breathing out violence. And this is the one I really want you to get. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. The King James Version says, I would have fainted had I not believed that I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Come on, that's a promise from the Lord. He promises you to see the goodness of God while you're alive in this, in this life. Amen. So just take that and claim, how many of you want to just claim that this morning? Yeah. Amen. Amen. I receive that, Father. We receive that in Jesus' name, Lord. We thank you, God, that you are our salvation, God. You're our Savior. You're our safe. God, the Bible says that you are our strong tower, Lord. You're our shelter that we hide on. God, we hide under the shadow of, your, of, your, of the Almighty, under the feathers of we will trust. Lord, talking about the mercy seat, God. So, Lord, this morning, we have come into your house, Lord. We've assembled in your name, God. We gather together under your shadow. And, Lord, I pray that you would just pour out your blessing on the body of Christ today, God. Teach us, Lord, your ways. Help us to know your instructions now. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Why don't you take a minute, greet one another if you would. Tell everybody you're glad to see them in the house of God this morning. Children, you can go ahead and head out for children's ministry. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Not sure I got the right sermon this morning. I, maybe I'm supposed to be preaching on Noah's Ark. <laughs> i tell you, I've, I've got a sump pump under my house. And it's, a, it's a bucket with a float on it. And it kicks in every so often, you know, every month or so. As the water gradually builds up, it'll pump it down. But this morning, it was just, I could hear it kick in, and a few minutes later, I heard it kick in again. I'm like, my Lord, I'm looking out the window. Is the house going to float away? It's preaching on Jonah this morning. Uh, I was sharing with someone just recently that was talking about somebody that's running from the, the call of God on their life. I said, well, and it was just the word of the Lord for that moment. I said, well, they can answer on the beach or they can answer from the belly of the whale. So... Uh, come on, how many of you want to answer on the beach? I want to surrender while I'm on the beach. Uh, I don't have to go through the belly of the whale before I get it, you know. But um, that may go along with the message this morning. Somehow, I might work that in there. If you want to take your Bibles out, we're going to look this morning at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Because uh, we're here this morning. The, the, the table is set. The Bible says, come and dine. The master calleth. Come and dine. Anytime you open the, the word of life, this is the bread of life, church. You know, I don't know how many of you like fried chicken, but huh? it's good for you to eat regular meals, you know. And um, maybe you're vegan or whatever, but it's good for you to eat regular, amen. <laughs> and so we need to feed on the bread of life, feed our spirit. And anytime you read the words of Jesus, you just can't go wrong with that, Amen. So Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite, exclamation mark. I don't think Jesus was real happy when he said that. Amen. You hypocrite. He's saying it with emphasis. You hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. I think we need to pray. Amen. Amen. Father reveal your truth to us today, Lord. God, you told us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, Lord, this morning, I'm going to attempt to rightly divide your truths, Lord, because many people throughout the the ages, Lord, they have taken the word of God and they pick and choose, Lord, and we sort of cherry pick those verses that we want to use for our own purpose. And we don't Teach it truthfully. And Lord, this morning I pray that you help us, God, open our minds, Lord, to to see what you're really saying here, God, and to know how we are to apply these things to our lives. So, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come right now. We ask you to speak truth. God, not only that we speak truth, God, but that we hear truth. Lord, you told us not to be hearers of the word only, because in so doing we deceive ourselves, but we're to be doers of the word. So God, help us to receive it and and hear it and do it today, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, how many of you know the Bible says, thou shalt not lie, right? Telling lies is not a good thing. That's one of the big 10, all right? So telling a lie, no matter whether it's, I mean, you can joke around and then say, I, I'm, I'm not lying, I'm just kidding around. That's, that's one thing. But when you tell a lie, intending for people to believe it, all right, that's being deceptive. <clears throat> Satan is the great deceiver, amen? Well, back in the 60s and 70s, there was this famous Southern comedian, and uh, he's one of my favorites. His name is Jerry Clower. Jerry Clower was always telling stories about his family. And when he did, one day a guy said, Jerry, you should go on stage, man. He said, those stories you tell about your family are hilarious, and he did. And he became one of the most famous Southern comedians. He was called the Mouth of the South. And he was always talking about his cousins, the Ledbetter boys. There was Arnell, Unel, W.L., Odell, Marcel, Clovis, Eugene, and Claude. They were the children of Uncle Percy and Bet. Well, the two he talked about the most was Marcel, who was about crazy. You know, he just, he was doing all kinds of wild, crazy stuff, you know, and I think they may have been close to age in in years. And the other one was Eugene. Well, Eugene was notorious for lying. He just, there was no reason for him to lie. He just loved to tell lies. One day the, the neighbor's dog had, they had a collie dog and it got the mange and all of its hair fell out except right around its neck. And Eugene went and looked out the window and said, oh, there's a lion in the yard. There's a lion in the yard. Well, Uncle Percy come up and said, boy, you know that's the neighbor's collie dog. So what did I tell you about that lion? So you go to your bedroom right now, you get down on your knees and you pray and you ask God to forgive you for telling them lies. So Eugene went stomping off to the bedroom. A few minutes later, he come out. He said, boy, did you pray like I told you to? He said, yes, I did, Paul. He said, and God spoke to me. He said, boy, he said, no, God spoke to me, Paul. Uncle Percy said, oh, bed, come in here real quick. Said, God has done spoke to Eugene. He said, tell us, Eugene, what was it God said to you, son? He said, well, God told me not to feel bad about calling that dog a lion. He said, first time he saw that dog, he thought it was a lion too. Well, Eugene told lies, and it didn't outgrow it. When he became an adult, he was still profusious liar. Well, one day, they got a new pastor at the church, and they're riding him around Yazoo City, Mississippi, and they're showing him, well, brother so-and-so lives here, and sister so-and-so lives here, and, and they go by Eugene's house, and they don't say anything. He said, well, who lives there? And they said, well, pastor, said, that's brother Eugene. He goes to their church occasionally, right? So that's brother Eugene, said, He's known for lying. He's the biggest liar in Yazoo City, Mississippi. And the pastor said, well, somebody ought to talk to him about that. All liars have their part in the lake of fire. He said, well, we tried, pastor, but nothing works. He said, well, I know what we'll do. He said, we'll make up the most unbelievable outlandish lie you've ever heard in your life, and we'll tell it to him to show him how ridiculous that is. They said, well, you know, pastor, that might just work. So they went to the house, knocked on the door. Eugene opened the door said, Eugene, this is our new reverend. He said, we'd like to introduce him to you. He said, well, sure, come on in, you know. And he's sitting there and he's trying to think up of a whopper, you know. About the time the reverend said, you'll never guess what happened to me last Sunday. He said, what's that, reverend? He said, I was getting ready to preach and all of a sudden the back doors flew open and in walked a great big grizzly bear. He said, he come waddling down that middle line. About the time he got to the altar, the back doors flew up again and in walked a little bitty black and white chihuahua dog. He said, he ran down that aisle, jumped on that grizzly bear, said they fought all the way across this side, down the other side, across the back, and back up the other side. There was blood and hair and fur everywhere. He said, when the air cleared, he said, there stood that little bitty black and white chihuahua dog, and he hit that bear completely up. He said, now, do you believe that, Eugene? He said, shucks, yeah, I believe that. That was my dog. Now, Eugene is a liar. Would it be fair to say he's a liar? And Revelation 21, verse 5 says this Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write these words, for they are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirst. And he who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Lying is a sin. That will take the liar to hell. Plain and simple, amen? Now, with that said, would I be considered judgmental judging Eugene if I said, Eugene, you're a liar, and all liars have their part in the lake of fire? Would I be judgmental? If I were to say that to him and Whether he's outside the church, and particularly if he's inside the church, he in all likelihood would say to me, well, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge people. How many of you have ever heard that before? The Bible says you're not supposed to judge people. Does it? Is that really what it's saying? You're not supposed to judge people? Would I be judging you, Gene? If I said, Eugene, you're a liar, and all liars are going to have their part in the lake of fire, you need to stop that lying. You need to do what Uncle Percy told you to do, boy. Get on your knees and ask God to forgive you for telling those lies. Now, the scripture, this particular passage of scripture, I believe is one of the most misused, misquoted verses in the entire Bible. Because you hear it all the time. Well, all they do is judge people. Talking about Christians. All they do is judge people. They, they don't, I, I don't think you should judge me. I, I went several months ago, I was getting some parts from a truck and I went to a parts store and this, this girl was waiting on me at the counter there and she, she had a tattoo on her arm there and it caught my attention because she had a big piece of plastic over it. I don't know anything about tattoos. I guess it was, to keep it from getting infected or something while it healed, or I, I really don't know. But it drew my attention, you know. I usually don't read the billboards on people's bodies, but, and, and I'm not condemning tattoos. I think some of are pretty cool. In fact, I thought about getting one myself. I said, this bod belongs to Gigi. But... Somebody said, thank God, because I don't want it. to she can have it. So anyway, I'm reading this and it was interesting because it said life for my memory it said, life is not finding yourself, but finding who God meant for you to be. And I read that and I looked at her and I said, well, did he? She said, excuse me. I said, I pointed her arm. I said, did he? I said, did you? I said, did you? I said, did you find who God meant for you to be? She said, yes, I did. Me and my children got baptized last week. And so I said, well, praise God. And I just give her a pound like it. I said, praise God. Congratulations. That w- that's good. I'm glad to hear that. I said, where did you get baptized? She told me. I said, well, what church do you attend? She said, I attend such and such church. They don't judge me there. <laughs> now, you don't correct people. But if I were to do her a little bit better, I'd say, honey, let me just help you something. Newsflash. Yes, they do. I don't care what church you go in. I don't care who's sitting there. We all judge each other all the time. There is no one that doesn't judge other people. It's humanly impossible not to pass judgment on people. It's not possible for a born again believer to not pass judgment on people. You, you just made a judgment whether you agree with that or not, right? I don't know what she was implying that I was judging her. I don't know what she meant by that, but she, if she was, she just made a judgment against me. You're judging me. I'm just commenting on you. I'm not judging anything. I'm glad to hear that you found who God wants you to be. You know, yeah, that's a judgment. I, I judge you as a wise person. We all judge all the time. So, was Jesus telling us that's wrong to do that? Are we not supposed to judge people? Was Jesus saying that it is wrong to judge? What did he mean? Judge not that you be not judged. Well, if you read it a little more carefully, verse 3 through 5, he tells you what he means because it says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? Have you ever had a splinter in your eye or speck? Brother, that thing hurts. And sometimes you can't see to get it out. You need somebody else to get it out of there for you, amen? And so why are you trying to get the splinter out of his eye and you're criticizing for, for having it there, but you got a two by four stuck out of your own eye, he says. He says, verse four, or, well, how can you say to your brother, Let me remove, you got a plank in your eye? Verse 5 says, You're a hypocrite. First, remove the plank out of your eye. Then you can see to remove the plank out of the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is, is, is saying, Listen, I'm not telling you not to judge, but you need to judge righteously. All right? I am not a liar. Now, I'm not saying I've never told a lie. I don't think, none of, if, if I say I'm, I've never told a lie, well, I just told a lie. But I am not a liar by habit, by practice. I, I promised my children, and they're here, they can bear witness. When they were small, I said, I promise you, I will never knowingly tell you a lie. I didn't. The man in the red suit coming down the chimney. That story wasn't told in my house. Because it's not true. Mama and Daddy worked for you, and we bless you at Christmas time because Jesus has blessed us. There's no big man in the red suit getting credit for that. Daddy did that. All right? Because God has blessed us. I I just told them the truth. I will never knowingly lie to you. I'm gonna tell you the truth sometimes to my own injury. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I am not a liar. And so if I say to Marcel or to Eugene, you're a liar, there's no plank in my eye. There's not something I got to remove. In other words, I'm not a liar. I don't have that plank in my eye. There's not even a splinter in my eye, Eugene. So I am not a hypocrite when I say to you, you're a liar, and, you're, and all liars are going to have their partner a lick of fire. Now, if Eugene goes over to this guy who slips up and tells a lie, and he criticizes him, he's the guy Jesus is talking about because he's the biggest liar in Yazoo City, Mississippi, and he's judging this guy for telling a lie. You see, Jesus wasn't condemning judging. He's condemning hypocrisy. This scripture is all about hypocrisy. It's about being a hypocrite. It's about pointing out other people's faults when your fault is way worse than theirs. So if I was a bigger liar than Eugene and I criticized him for it, then I would be guilty of what Jesus is addressing here. Are you seeing this? Amen? So the fact that this passage states the very opposite of what people have tried to make it. Because if you read just a little bit further down in verse 15, Matthew 7, 15, it says this. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, everybody say inwardly. Inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. And you're gonna know them by their fruit. Do men gather grapes of thorn bushes or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and it is thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. He says, but inwardly, let me ask you, how do you know what's going on inside somebody? You can't just look at them. There's no billboard there that says, I am a ravenous wolf. I'm pretending to be a prophet, but I'm a fake. How do you know what's going on inside of them? The only way you can know that is you have to make a judgment. So Jesus is not telling us that we're not to judge. In fact, he's telling us just the opposite. He's telling you when people come and they are false, you measure them by their fruit and you make a determination whether they're real or whether they're not real. So he is not condemning judging he's instructing us to use discernment to identify those who corrupt the truth in this case false prophets now some of those things are obvious sometimes they're not sometimes it's hard to know whether it's real or not i learned a long time ago everything that glitters is not gold amen The apostle Paul walked around for three days and this little girl is following him saying, here are these men of God. They're bringing us to truth. These are men of God. Everything she was saying was true. Everything she was saying was right. But after three days, he turned around and cast a demon out of her. How did he know that was a demon? There was nothing obvious there to show him that it was a demon. But he had to make a judgment. I remember years ago, I walked into the living room and mom and, and Jeannie was watching this guy on TV and he was, it was a great revival supposedly taking place in a part of the United States. I won't call him out, but everything looked great about it. I mean, it, 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 every, it, it looked spot on. But as soon as I walked in the living room, this is what I heard in my spirit. Beware of strange fire. Well, come to find out the guy was sleeping with a prostitute while he was doing this stuff. And everything, he was a fake. And it was proven later on that he was a fake. He divorced his wife and I don't know whatever happened to the guy. But sometimes, church, God will give you that and he's not telling you not to use that. In fact, he's instructed us to use that. You need to weigh and measure people by their fruit. God's telling you to do that. We're not to be naive and gullible. Paul makes judgments about things like that. He made a judgment about this young lady. He made a judgment about a young man that he's never even met in Corinth. First Corinthians chapter five, look at this. He said, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality that is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. So this guy is sleeping with his stepmother. All right. Now it doesn't explain the, the picture here, but I kind of processed it in my mind that during that culture, men, sometimes older men would take younger wives. All right. So then law, the possible that this young lady was around the age of his son and she's married to an older gentleman. All right. And so She must have been pretty, and his boy liked her, so he's sleeping with his stepmother. Are you getting the picture? Verse 2 says, and you are puffed up. He's talking to the church. "You're, You're pleased about this, he says. You've not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed am absent in the body, but I am present in the spirit. I have already judged as though I were present. Him who has so done this deed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, you deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, I just wrote as a note, the purpose for this action was to bring salvation in the day of the Lord. Say, why was he doing this? He's trying to help this young man. He's trying to bring salvation to the day of the Lord. And I don't see the Bible doesn't give us details about how much information he had about this situation. But it's quite possible that this young man was so defiant that there's nothing going to get his attention but turning him over to the devil. And when his flesh is hurting bad enough, he'll repent. That's the only conclusion I can get out of that. It's kind of like Jonah on the beach. Come on, you can answer on the beach or you can answer from the belly of the whale. All right, so Paul's like turning over to the devil so that his soul will be saved. The purpose is salvation. It's not being harsh or, or, or trying to punish people. See, the whole purpose for this is restoration, to restore us to the Lord. Are you seeing it? Boy, you guys are quiet. Yeah. Somebody say amen so I know you're not mad at me. Yeah. All right. So we're not supposed to just simply identify evil. Also, we're, so, we're supposed to expose it. Ephesians 5.11 tells us to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose it. In, in Jesus' case, he said, if they're a false prophet, you expose them. The ravenous wolves expose them. So the passage in Matthew seven is often taken out of context, and it is done to defend immoral behavior that is clearly contrary to the Scripture. Yeah. So a lot of people, the guy that's going to crow that usually the loudest, you're not supposed to judge people, is the guy that probably needs judging the most, because there's stuff going on in his life that he needs corrected. But people love their sin. And they want to be left alone in their sin. I enjoy my sin. Don't make me feel guilty in my sin. And, and I, I've seen it. You've probably seen it too. People decide they're going to go that way. They'll make all kind of excuses why there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. I'm not bothering anybody. And all kinds of excuses. And I've even seen it to the point that people say, well, I don't even believe that there is a God. Because if there's no God, then there's no consequences to my actions, Right? Well, they're just lying to themselves. So a lot of times people will do this to, to defend their behavior. Furthermore, we are commanded to judge. Church, I don't know if you realize this or not. We are commanded in the scripture to judge. But that judgment is more specifically to be done inside the church. When Jesus said, if you see the speck in your brother's eye, All right, he's talking about somebody who is a kindred spirit. You see the speck in your brother's eye. Sinners are already judged. We don't have to judge them. We already, God's already dealt with that. And sinners are gonna do what sinners do. And a lot of times, if you're trying to point to their sin, you're just gonna push them further away from you. Now, that's not that you don't call out their sin. But what I've told people before, I said, listen, I remember going on this construction job, and this young man came to church with me, and two two different occasions during that period of time. I was out of Bible college, was getting ready to move to Connecticut, and I was working an outage to earn some extra money to move on. And uh, God put two young men in my path during that period of time. And both of them, they were rough characters, you know. And I told one of them one day, I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. God is not going to keep a list of how many times you've lied, how many times you slept with women, how many times you did this. He's not going to go down a list. I said, God's going to ask you one question. What did you do about the price I paid for you at Calvary? I gave my son to die for you. Did you accept that? Or did you reject that? And it, listen, that's not, that's not condemning, is it? And it touched their heart. Both of those young men repented. One of them came to me. In fact, he got his layoff slip that day. He was my welder. I was a pipe fitter. He was my welder. He came in and I'd been witnessing to him. I, I used that technique. And I also talked about the rapture of the church and Jesus is coming and you never know when. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm lighting the fire in him. I mean, he could come today, you know. Are you ready to meet him? And right. he came in that morning. He said, Bernie, I want you to know I called my grandmother last night. And I prayed with her to receive Jesus. And I mean, it wasn't a, probably an hour later they came and brought him with pink slip. Come on, the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. Yeah. That was a divine moment. Yeah. And the other guy, he came to church with me. He, and uh, he said, I, I, I was raised in church and I walked away from God. He's the guy we're actually talking about this morning. And God put him in my life, and I used that same technique. I said, listen, God's not keeping this long list. I don't need to point out your sin. He already knows he's a sinner. You don't need to tell him. He already knows. What you need to tell him is Jesus made a way for you. Are you going to reject that? God paid a price for your salvation. Are you going to reject it, or are you going to receive it? And so you don't have to go after the sinner. Our judgment primarily is to be done in the church. Followers of Christ should live holy lives. And when that's not the case, we are commanded, church, to call them out when they're not living holy lives before the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you read a little further down. We read the beginning of it. Verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with covetous, or extortioners, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone who names himself as a brother who is sexually immoral, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or extortioner, not to even eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those who are outside Do you not judge those that are on the inside? Verse 13, but those who are on the outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. So he's talking about people who are in the body of Christ who profess to be Christians, but they are living totally ungodly lives. We are instructed to call them out, even to the point of saying, I love you, but I can't have any fellowship with you. I am commanded from Scripture to break fellowship with you. How many of you know you can be an enabler? You can make people feel comfortable in their sin. But when you call them out, it's like, I love you. I'd love to hang out with you. But if you're going to keep doing that, the Bible tells me to put you away from me. Why? It's kind of like... Just verses before that was when Paul said, turn him over to the Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his soul might be saved. You're not doing this to punish them. You're doing this to restore them. It's an attempt to try to get their attention. Look, the church can't have any fellowship with you if you're going to go down this path. You know better. And you're choosing to do this willingly. I have to break fellowship with you. It grieves me. It breaks my heart. I love you. I would love to hang out with you, but I can't. And then you'll get this, well, you're holier than, well, actually, I am. All right, if you want, actually, I am. Because I'm not doing that. Well, you think you're better. Well, actually, I am. Well, what's wrong with that? Is it true or not true? Judge not that you be not judged. The true meaning is judging when, uh, judging when you are guilty of the same thing is what he's saying, what Jesus was saying. It's when you're judging people when you're guilty of the same thing. Now, I preached this sermon years ago, actually when we first planted the church, it was like 20 some years ago. And something came up the other day and it triggered my mind. I said, I, I need to preach that sermon again. And the first time I, I just, bored everybody to tears with all the Greek meanings of the word judge and judgment and judgmental. I'm not going to do that. Say thank you, Pastor B. But I will just trying to tell you what it really means is when you're judging, and it's, it's not just, when it's unfair or it's, it's, uh, it's unqualified. It means making an unfair or unsubstantiated judgment. John chapter 7 verse 24 says this. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. All right, he's telling us to judge, but when you do, it needs to be with righteous judgment. In other words, you don't judge according to hearsay or assumption or opinion or false information or misleading information or half truth or lies. You know, you don't look at somebody and say, Well, naturally, he's guilty, he's a Jew. Naturally, he's guilty. He's a white man. Naturally, he's guilty. He's a black man. Naturally, he's a guilty. He's Middle Eastern. Now, or whatever, wherever, because they come from the north. You know he's a Yankee. Huh? Come on. I mean, we got, you got any Yankees in the house? I love you, Yankee. I've been up there. I love the Yankees. All right. Well, naturally, he's, he's dumb as dirt. He's a, he's a rebel. He's a southerner. I just because we sound dumb don't mean we are dumb, right? <laughs> my Yankee friend. <laughs> that that's being judgmental. Are you hearing me? You're judging people based on misinformation, half information, half truths, assumptions. See, the Bible is not saying, do not judge, period. Now, in my Study Bible. The district gave us all the lead pastors at the district council. They gave us a, a, a Bible with their name on it. That was pretty cool. And it's a life, full life study Bible. And the footnote said this, judging in an unjust or unqualified manner also includes condemning or rejecting someone who is doing wrong without sincerely desiring to see the person turn to God and receive forgiveness. It is an attitude that would prefer God's judgment on people before they respond to his mercy. Being judgmental in this case means I see what you're doing, and I want to see you get what's coming to you. I see what you're doing, and I want God to, I want God to deal with you. you. God needs to, because sometimes what people have done, we want to see them punished rather than restored. Judgment is not about punishment. It's not about rejection. It's about restoration. The right heart about judgment is to restore people to the Lord. Instead, we need to say, I see what you're doing and I pray that you turn to God for mercy so that you don't have to face his wrath. Because church, let me tell you something. If you don't turn to God for his mercy, you will face his wrath. We teach our children. What we teach them, obedience brings Bless. We need to teach that in adult class, mama. Obedience brings Bless. blessing. Disobedience brings Judge. judgment. Okay. Simple, childlike truth. Obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings judgment. But that's true in your home. You say, well, some people say, well, this is just a list of do's and don'ts. Where in life do we go that we don't have do's and don'ts? You go on your job. There's certain things you have to do, and if you don't, you get punished for it. There's certain things you don't do, and if you do them, you get punished for it. Isn't that true? There's things in your home. There's things in your marriage. There's things in the laws of the land. There are certain speed limits. You better obey them. If you don't, you get in trouble for it. We all have do's and don'ts in our life. Well, why is it a problem in Christianity when we have do's and don'ts? Of course it's a list of do's and don'ts. That's, that's life. Ephesians chapter five, he tells us this. But fornicators and all uncleanliness or covetous, Let it not be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving of things. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, no covetous man, who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Didn't say it might come. He said it will come. Therefore, verse seven, do not be partakers with them. Well, if you see the therefore, you gotta see what the therefore is there for. The reason the therefore is there is because the sons of disobedience has the wrath of God come upon them and if you do what they do, you will have the wrath of God come upon you as well. So the reason that we judge people and pray that they come to Christ so they don't have to experience his wrath. I pray that they receive his mercy before he comes to that. Wouldn't it have been great if Paul said, I've heard about this man doing this. I pray that he would come around so that he doesn't have to receive the wrath of God. Yeah. But apparently he was so defiant, he said, turn him over to the Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his soul might be saved in the day. I want to see him saved, but he's too boneheaded, hardheaded to come around without turning him over to the devil for the destruction of the flesh. I've told people they're praying for someone that's going to stray. I said, all right, I'm going to tell you something. You pray for them, but things may get worse before it gets better. Because some people just will not turn around until they have absolute hit the bottom. We desire God's mercy for everyone, or at least we should. So why do we judge? We judge because we know the truth and we walk in it. Because listen, if you're judging and you're not walking in the truth, you are that guy that Jesus was talking about with the plank in his eye right? But if I know the truth and I walk in it, I judge accordingly because I care. That's why you judge. It's not because you wish some harm or something bad to come on people. You judge because you care. You care about their soul. I think if we all had a reality of what hell is like, we would care about every person we meet. We don't want anybody to go there. Jenny and I have talked about people that's done some horrible things to us, and I tell her, I was like, I don't wish hell on anyone. I don't. No matter what's been done to me, I don't wish hell on anyone because that's eternal. Yeah. You know, and when you stop and ponder, only if you've ever stopped and pondered about that, but there's no turning that around, brother. It's every minute of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, of every decade, of every century, of every millennium, Forever tormented how evil would a person be to wish that on someone i i don't think i've ever said to anybody "Well, go to hell how could we do it because we care first peter four says this for the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of god And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Church, righteous judgment is an act of goodness. It's an act of mercy. It's an attempt to pull people out of the fire. That's why we judge. Jesus Jesus is not telling us not to judge. He's telling us that we need to judge righteously. We need to judge with the right heart because we want to see people saved. A couple more scriptures and I'm going to close. Ezekiel chapter 3 tells us this. Verse 17, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning for me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you give him no warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 19, yet if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness nor from his wicked ways, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Verse 20, again, when a righteous man turns from his righteousness and commits iniquity and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die because he did not give, because you did not give him warning. He shall die in his sin and his righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man that the righteous man should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning. Also, you will deliver your soul. We've got a big responsibility, church. Amen? And a lot of times it requires making judgments. We, we're supposed to make judgments, but for the right reason. Not just to be judgment critical and, and condemning and putting people down. Yeah, in that sense, then you're not, the Bible does teach you not to judge unjustly, but to judge righteously and for the right reason. If our judgment is an attempt to help someone to see their condition, to get the speck out of their eyes, and it causes them to repent, it is worth all the criticism from those who condemn you for being judgmental. It's worth it. You can call, you can say I'm judgmental. People say I, judgmental. I do make judgments. If you wanna say I'm judgmental, fine. I do make judgments but I make it for the right reason. I've gone to people that's gone the wrong direction. It's like, look, and I point out what they're doing and they make all kinds of excuses why there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. I know what they're doing is wrong and I know where they're headed is bad. God's not gonna bless that. Listen, when you get out from under the cloud, you're out from under God's protection. And I've seen this over and over again. When the children of Israel was wandering in the wilderness, there was a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. And as long as they were under the cloud, God protected them. But if they lagged behind, the Amalekites would kill them. Amalekites was a type of the demonic realms, spirit realm. Those that were weak or, or, or old, a lot of times would stagger behind and they were murdered. When you're out from under the cloud, you're out from under God's protection. And when you're walking out of, the, out of the will of God, you're putting yourself in a very, very dangerous place spiritually. And as, as a person who knows the Word of God, we live it and we walk in it, we see people do that, we should go to them and say, look, man, you need to get right with God. Because I've seen people do that and their life just turn out to be a disaster. I've seen it happen so many times. And many times they're gonna, they'll, they'll reject the attempt to try to help them and they will say you're just being judgmental all you do is judge me finally Luke chapter 15 verse 4 Jesus said this what man of you having a hundred sheep if he loses one of them does he not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me. Come on, we need to be rejoicing. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which was lost. I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. Now, listen carefully to what Jesus just said there. Our judgment mainly is in the house of God. This one that's gone astray, Jesus said he was a sinner that needed to repent. But he didn't start out that way because at one time he was one of the hundred just people that did not need to repent. When there's people in the body of Christ, and they are servants of the Lord, they're followers of the Lord, and they go astray, we need to try to reach them. And sometimes what you're going to find is they're not a sheep at all, they're a goat. Or they are just so rebellious, they're like the young man that Paul was talking about in Corinth. They're just so resistant, you're like, you've left me no other alternative other than to turn you over to satan for the destruction of the flesh that hopefully your soul will be saved on the day of the lord maybe that'll turn you around because righteous appealing is not helping you this sinner started out as one of the 100 just persons and he went astray Thank God someone had enough judgment to see that he was in trouble and he went after him. Last scripture is Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, yes. restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Come on, being judgmental is not being harsh and critical and condemning, it's gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted bear one another's burdens so and so fulfill the law of Christ. Did you get anything out of that? I hope you have a better understanding about what judgment means. And when you hear people say, well, you're not supposed to judge people. Would you stand with me, please? The next time you hear someone say that, well, all they do is judge. Whether you say it out loud or you say it within yourself. Say, well, thank God that somebody cared enough to judge. I pray if I ever go astray that somebody will care enough to judge me the right way with the right heart. So you need to, uh, in fact, they did. Didn't they? I just just forgot about that. Because Jeannie and I got out of Bible college. We went to Connecticut to help plant a church and it was. Whew. We left Connecticut. We came back to Virginia. She she didn't grow up in church. I've been in church my whole life. I was done with church. I was done with Christians. I was done with the whole deal. I went for a whole year. I didn't pray. I didn't read my Bible. He's trying to get me to go to church. I'm like, for what? I, I, I saw my dad. He was a pastor for church. I saw what he went through. And then I've gone up here. And now I've gone through this myself. I, I was at a place where I was, I was in a bad place. And without anybody calling anybody or telling anybody anything, I had a guy, the man who prayed for me to receive the baptism of the Spirit, call me out of the blue. He's like, Bernie. I was in prayer, and God put you on my heart. He said, what's going on? I was totally unmoved. I'm like, "Man, I really don't want to talk about it. He said, let me tell you what's going on. He said, if every church in America burnt to the ground right now, you could care less. I'm like, yep, that's pretty much it, Butch. He said, I know. I've been there by myself. He said, let me pray for you. He prayed for me. I hung up the phone. I was just as bitter and cold as I was before he made the phone call. Shortly after that, another man, a man named Nathan Grooms. He used to be my pastor when Jeannie and I, when Charity was born, he was my pastor. In fact, I named my son Nathan because of my relationship with Nathan Grooms. A man, I highly respected. I love him to this day. Great man of God. He was the first Pentecostal pastor I ever sat under was Nathan Grooms. And he called me up. Same thing. He said, Bernie, I was in prayer. God put you on my heart. What's wrong, son? Thank God somebody cared. He said, let me pray for you. And he prayed and I was unmoved. I walked down to the South Anna River shortly after that and I sat down beside the river and I'm watching the water flow by. I hadn't prayed in a year now. I hadn't read my Bible. I'm just sitting there looking at the water and I'm thinking, And all I could say was, God, help me. The Bible says that the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man abeleth much. And it don't have to be a real wordy prayer, but a sincere prayer from your heart. God, help me. And that's all I had to say. Because it came from a heart of sincerity. I knew I was in a bad place but people cared enough to reach out to me. Uh, We should care enough to reach out to people. And if they don't respond, don't be moved by that. Just keep praying for them. Have the right heart toward them. Don't wish God's judgment on them. Wish for God's mercy on them. If they are so defiant and rebellious that they won't return, then you may have to break fellowship with them. You may have to turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, but you do that not because you want to see hurt come to them. You do that because you want to see healing come to them. Yes. Because if you see that if you're wishing harm on them, then you've got something going on in your heart that you need to repent of. Amen. So I don't know where to take that, but other than let's, let's weigh our hearts before God and make sure that first of all, I know the truth and I'm walking in it to the best of my ability. All right. And if you're not walking in the truth of God's word to the best of your ability, why don't you make that right with God today? Say, Lord, I'm not where I should be with you but I want to because how can I help other people when I'm a wreck? I can't. See, when he said, judge not that you be not judged, he's talking about the guy that's got a mess in his life and he, he can't help other people when he himself needs help. So the first thing I need to do is make sure that I'm walking in truth. I know the truth and I'm walking in it to the best of my ability. And then the next thing is, God, give me the right heart towards people that's not doing that. Help me to care enough to reach out to them. Every head bowed, every eye closed, if you would, please. Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now to, to come into this place, Lord. Minister, Lord, to our hearts. Father, if there's been times that we've had the wrong heart towards people, God, we wished them harm. May we repent of that right now and forgive us, Lord. Lord, your word says that you wish good and not evil in Isaiah. And God, if that's your desire, you wish good and not evil. What right do we have to wish evil and not good? So first of all, Lord, forgive us for that. And then, Lord, I pray today, God, if there's someone here and their heart's not right with you, Lord, they're just in a bad place, and it may not have anything to do with judging, Lord, maybe just some struggle that they're dealing with, God, or, or some weakness in their life that they just can't seem to get the victory over. Lord, we know, the God, that you said we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, Lord. So, God, I pray that you would strengthen us today, Lord, to help us to walk in truth, And then, God, I pray that you take the word today, Father, and help us to understand, Lord, that you, in fact, did tell us to judge, but we're to judge righteously, not just by appearance, not by assumption, not by opinions, hearsay, and all of those things, Lord, but by facts and what we know to be true, to judge righteously. And then, Lord, that judgment needs to be from the right heart, God, that we see restoration, not punishment. So, Lord, when we leave this place today, God, I pray that we go out with a different, a different understanding, Lord, and a different attitude towards those in the body of Christ, Lord, and towards those that we know in the world, God. Father, that we do get a reality of, of your judgment and the wrath of God that comes upon the sons of disobedience, Lord. And we desire to see people delivered from that, God. Give us a reality of hell and what it is like, Lord. We don't desire to see anybody go there. We don't desire to go there ourselves, Lord. So I pray if there's a person here this morning, Lord, and they're not a follower of Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would save their soul today, Lord. May they not leave this place until they know, Lord, that they're ready to meet you. I ask in Jesus' name, Hunter, while the worship team leads us in a song, if you need to come to the altar and pray for anything, it may not have anything to do with what I preached on this morning, any need you have, if you need prayer, that's what the altar is here for. Please come. We'd we'll be lo- glad to pray with you. We'll love to pray, pray with you.
1: The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, And all the earth rejoice. All the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light Darkness tries to hide It trembles at his voice Trembles at his voice How great is our God Sing with me, I'm i Ray- Okay.
0: had something come to mind I don't think I've ever never really registered before. You know, when you're praying for people, sometimes you don't know what to pray. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, what what I pray? Even if you know what's going on in somebody's life, sometimes you're just at a loss for words. But the Bible says, for we know not what to pray for as we ought but the Holy Spirit makes intercessions for us yeah. with groans which cannot be uttered. Yeah. How about this? Pray, Holy Spirit, would you just intercede right now from my friend? Would you intercede for my wife, for my husband, for my daughter, for my whatever you're praying about? Holy Spirit, will you just intercede right now? I don't yeah. know what to pray, but Holy Spirit, you do. Would you just intercede? And I just picture in my mind the Holy Spirit going before the throne and interceding for that situation, that person, with words that you could never come up with. That's powerful. The Bible says that Jesus is our intercessor. Jesus is before. Now, I understand we, we believe in the Trinity, but God reveals himself as a triune being for our understanding. So the Spirit of God is praying to the Father Jesus praying to the Father for our behalf, amen? So Father, right now, as we leave today, Lord, I ask you, Holy Spirit of God, how many of you've got somebody in your life that you need to pray for right now? Would you just lift your hands to God? I want you to think about that person, or maybe it's a situation. I want you just lift your hands to the Lord right now. Father, Some of these people have exhausted themselves in prayer. They don't even know what's left to be said. They don't know what to say, but Holy Spirit, you do. And we ask you Holy Spirit right now to make intercession with groans which cannot be uttered. The words we can never come up with, Holy Spirit, you can intercede right now. We ask you to intercede for that situation for that person right now. How many of you believe the Holy Spirit can get results when he prays? Huh? I believe he gets results when he prays. God, we're expecting great reports for answered prayer in those situations. Thank you that you've made these things so available to us, Lord. You love us so much. God, you're so good. You're so good. The old song says, I think of a thousand words how to describe you. God, you're so good. That's who you are. And we're blessed by you. That's who we are. So, fathers, we leave today, Lord. I thank you that we have time to come together, Lord. And God, you've given us understanding, Lord, of a very misunderstood passage of Scripture and what it really means and how we're supposed to apply it. Thank you, God. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing truth to us for being a light to us. Now, Lord, help us to walk away from, uh, from this, Lord, and, and put it into practice, we pray in Jesus' name. And as we do, Lord, I pray that you just bless our efforts, Lord. Now, Father, I speak a blessing over the body of Christ, Lord, over every home that is represented here today, God. May it be a refuge, Lord, an escape from the world, a place where the Holy Spirit is welcome, I pray that you will strengthen the family, Lord, relationships between husbands and their wives, parents and their children, siblings, one with each other. God, I pray a special blessing over those who are traveling their journey alone, Lord, and they're looking for someone to spend their life with, God. That special person that you have just for them, Lord. God, there are young ladies out there. They're waiting for the man of their dreams. Come along, Lord, and he's out there. We call him in right now in Jesus' name. Lord, there are young men out there. They're looking for the young lady that's just for them, Lord, and she's out there, God. We call her in in Jesus' name. Lord, may they find each other, Lord, and build their life together. And then, God, if they're content to be like Paul, Lord, and just serve you, God, then you comfort them and be their strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church.